and welcome to our first episode of Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate and I'm joined by my co-host Nancy McLean. And I thought I would start this episode off with a little bit of housekeeping. So we have some updates since our introduction last week. The podcast is now available on iTunes and Google Play, if you'd like to access it there. And we also have an Instagram page where we will um, put up in advance what research we're going to do. So it's quite interesting to keep an eye on that. And that is called conversations.equinescience. Did you have any housekeeping to add to that as well, Nancy? No, that sounds wonderful. And I think we're also on um, a few other platforms that I was not real familiar with. So if you um, are looking for a certain platform to see if we're on it or not, just go to anchor.fm and look us up in the search engine. Yeah, I think Anchor is probably the easiest way to navigate then to the different platforms that are available. If you are on Instagram, we have the link to the Anchor um, podcast. So if you just look in the bio for that one. But today we have a really interesting topic that me and Nancy have been looking forward to discussing. And that is the role of personality in equestrian sports. So this was an investigation carried out by I Will from Jay Williams and Dee Marlin. And it has some pretty interesting findings. I might just give a brief overview of what the idea was behind the research and the methods. And then me and Nancy can discuss um, the results and what we thought about the results and how we can kind of put them into context. Um, so the aim of this study was basically to investigate riders' personal traits and to see how that corresponded to a couple of different factors. So it was seeing if it was affected by age or nationality or if the competitive level has an effect on their personality traits. So what traits kind of stood out in different areas? And they did this by carrying out an online survey and they measured a couple of different personality traits. So they looked at extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism and intellect and they had some really interesting results from it I think one in particular that I found um quite interesting was that riders in their late teens and early 20s considered themselves less agreeable less conscientious but more neurotic than the older generations and I would say that probably sounds about right what do you think Nancy oh I I think is especially since um on the older side, uh, the mo more mature student, let's put it that way, I, I think as you age, you get a lot more mellow than when you're younger. And you, when you're younger, you tend to worry more about things. And as you get older, you just do kind of um, pick and choose your battles and, and what you worry about. Definitely. And I think it's interesting because the term that they're more neurotic kind of resonates with the idea that, you know, younger people that are still in their formative years, they might approach problems differently. And when nervousness comes into it, especially when you think about competing, when that element comes into it, they may not be able to stay on one train of thought and they're running ahead of themselves 
And I think that would all feed into that kind of neurotic behavior where they're not really in control because they don't seem to have a guided plan. Yep, I agree. I think too, when you're younger, you're you're always seeking to reach a goal. And as you get older, you learn more that it's not so much attaining a goal with your horse, but it's just enjoying the journey. And I, I think that mindset might play into it a little bit as well. Definitely. And I think it's interesting too that I think I would have guessed that older generations would be more agreeable and more conscientious. And I think life experience plays a big role in that and what experience you've had with horses. Because when you've been around horses, you know, for five years compared to 10 years, you're going to have a whole wealth of knowledge that you thought you probably knew when you were five years in, but we're constantly learning. And that idea that, you know, they don't, as you get older, you're not going to take as many risks. And we kind of know that anyway, from day to day life, we calculate things a bit more. Yep. I, I think we do. And, and I was so happy that this research uncovered that, uh, equestrianism and horseback riding is something that you can carry on into your eighties. You know, so it was that was kind of surprising to me because I always think it's an anomaly when you have a rider that's starting eventing over the age of 60. But according to this study, you know, that um, that's one of the attributes that um, they found that is, you know, it is kind of like playing tennis. If you really want to do it, you do, you know, you continue to play um, as long as you can physically do it. And I think what was really interesting about that um, was that this study compared that finding. So, you know, they realized that older people can have longer careers, I guess, in this support, in this sport. But when they compared that to like the general population, all of those studies show that there's a decrease with age and like even when you think about you know like basketball or when you think about various like football things like that you don't have older players playing those games and I think physicality will play a big role in that but there's a huge part of you know horse riding that's incredibly physical so it's really fascinating to see that that it is right up until, you know, you're in your 80s or even some people in their 90s are still getting up on horses. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth, 94, still riding her foul pony, you know. So uh, that's like a role model right there uh, for those of us still riding. And um, it, there was also an interesting fact that the elderly riders that um, – were able to work with and ride their horses, they seem to have a continued sense of commitment that non-equestrian elderly people did not have. And I think, you know, that's always for a well-rounded emotional state through the aging process. So horses do play a big role in that. Definitely. I think like there's a lot of psychology studies that reinforce the need to have hobbies and to have that outlet. But um, there's one interesting um, piece of research in particular, and it's the resilience donut, and it's how to build resilience as a human being. 
But interestingly, one topic of the resilience donut that they say is important, an important factor to have is to have a skill. So something that you can feel like you're doing well in, that you enjoy, that you're good at. And I think horse riding does that. It just gives you such a level of satisfaction. And especially because you've got that bond with the horse as well. So it's just a little bit more than doing something on your own, even though if you don't like people, you can very well go and do horse riding, but still have that feeling where you're not entirely alone while you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think that's true. And I've, the other thing I found so interesting was that um, the dressage discipline, they got a higher intellect rating and that intellect involved abstract thoughts and imaginations. And that just reminded me so much of a dancer or a gymnast doing a floor routine. And I thought how um, these disciplines tend to match other sport disciplines like eventing was more like downhill skiing with the personality traits. So I had never thought of it that way before until I saw the intellect rating for the dressage riders and thought it's very similar to interpretive dance in in the human more, you know, sport, so. And I suppose in dressage as well, you know, from an early age, if you start it, you have to be able to visualize what you're going to do you don't just look at that open arena you see the shapes that you're going to make as you go through your different transitions and your different movements so I suppose they would need that creativeness to be able to visualize what they're doing yeah I I really enjoyed that part and then the one thing I did have to get a definition for conscientiousness and it is the quality of wanting to do one's work or job well and thoroughly well event riders got less of a rating in that area and so did uh, show jumping polo and racing and you know it possibly is because they're they're looking out for their horse's well-being and their own well-being so much that they can't really go outside of that bubble and so they so often when you're galloping on the racetrack you are reacting on impulse on um you know what happens because every horse can give you a different set of risk that you're taking on. So um, they were also low, lower in agreeableness. And I thought, well, that makes so much sense because the agreeableness would be kind, sympathetic, cooperative, warm, considerate. But when you're going 40 miles an hour cross country or on the racetrack or stadium jumping, um, you know, you're looking out for you and your horse more than you are the other person. So I think that's where that um, rating came in. I don't think they mean that when you're not on the horse. Yeah, and I wonder as well, just off the top of my head there, I was thinking whether these events where they're really, you know, time conscious, whether that plays an effect in it. Because where you're under time pressure and you're trying to not just do something, but do something quickly, then at some point, how well you do it 
is likely to suffer if you're trying to get through it at a certain speed. Yep, that's a good point. Yep. And I found it interesting too, as well, that the competitive riders were the ones that were more extroverted, but it was one part of it was discussing um, when you have young people who are competitive, they'll likely get into that earlier, younger riders. And it just made me think of when I was doing any kinds of competition when I was younger and I hated it. I was such a shy child and I really didn't enjoy going out and competing. I liked it when I was in the arena on my own or once I was actually out doing the cross country, but the lead up to it and all the rigmarole around it really just wasn't my personality type at the time. And interestingly from the study as well, they mentioned like that is the formative years when, you know, you've got kids that are in their early and late teens because certainly if I was to go back and do it now as an adult, I think I would tackle it totally different because I'm not as much of an introvert as I was during those years. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, you've been through that now and peer pressure and uh, needing to do everything perfect kind of disappears as you age a little bit, you know, not that we can't be perfectionists, but we don't worry about it so much, you know. Um, I will say that the respondents in this study were mainly 18 to 24-year-olds, and um, then it was pretty even all the way until you got to 65 and over, and then that was probably about 5% of the respondents. So to repeat this study, possibly I would maybe try to have a more equal representation of age groups. And then also the um, nationality studies were interesting. Um, It kind of said Americans are a little neurotic. What did you think, Kate? I don't, did the Americans report that themselves? <laughs> yeah, um, um, the whole thing um, came up out of 4,049 respondents. Um, the U.S. had over 50% of a response rate. It was like around 55%. And um, they, I guess it was in a publication is how they did the survey. And the survey had 20 questions. And so they had more uh, Americans than anything responding to it. So that might be the big difference there. But it could um, be the numbers. Yeah. Yep. And Canadians were the most laid back. So the nationalities were interesting. And I will say the British were the most polite. So, um, you know, I thought. It's funny how you'll hear these kinds of cultural definitions within different countries like just as jargon now you know the thing that British people are so polite Canadians are so relaxed and it's funny that that actually translates through to the people themselves end up reporting the same thing I was really surprised and and I wonder if the publication that the survey ended up in or more you know were more read by 
Americans or what publication it was. I don't know, you know, but anyway, it would be interesting to see if you could take a more even number of respondents and see if you would get the same results. Yeah. And I think as well, even from this study, like this study opens up so many doors to more questions even that you could ask because they were discussing how, you know, it raises the questions about can personality then influence and predict your the discipline you choose, like what you decide to focus on. And you could, you know, in theory, create some kind of personality test that could be geared towards equine that you could fill out and see, well, actually, what am I more in line with? What is going to suit my personality best? But I think what really interested me was the idea of how the personality is even going to affect things potentially, like how they train the animals and what equipment they choose, which was really fascinating. Because I just always thought that would be an individual choice or it would be something based on, you know, cultural disposition or just habit. But the fact that that can differ from personality to personality was quite fascinating. Yeah, it was. And what was it? The younger um, people seemed to be more neurotic and less agreeable. And um, they would pick more um, training aids that were more forceful than what an older person would pick. And I think that comes with experience, too. Definitely. I think we realize the longer you're around horses, the more you realize you don't know it all and you're willing to give it time and kind of foster a relationship with the animal more than rush a training. You know, it's not like if you can do something by next week you don't put that time frame or that goal in a time frame as you learn about horses you tend to just take things in smaller steps and i think that's the difference too between the 18 to 24 year olds and then the ones that were over the age of 35 i think that's so true because with all animals so much of you know, the behavior that we see from them with animals that we're either, you know, in close contact with and domesticated, the behaviors that they display or the results that we get from them are directly attributed to how we have handled the situation. And you realize, you know, when you have a horse that's afraid to do something or you're trying to train a horse to jump and you're using forceful methods, you're not going to develop a trustful bond with that horse where they're willingly going to do that every time. You're constantly going to have that barrier of trying to force them into something instead of them wanting to clear it. And I think that does come with experience that you realize, you know, if they don't want to do something, then using more forceful methods is not going to get the long-term result. It might get you the short-term one, but also that thinking just how, how we respond to it, because we just have such a big influence. Are we giving them too short of a time frame to be able to do something like you had said, you know, are we expecting them to be able to 
clear a whole course of fences within, you know, two weeks of just training. And probably too, it's, we have to question our learning theory experience and are we communicating with them on the same level as to what they can understand or our responses cues that give them an idea of what we're asking for. And I think that's where a lot of training goes sideways is a lack of learning theory knowledge. And, um, you know, I think as you are into horses, you realize there's a language they speak and a language that you can convey on their cognitive level. So um, it would be neat to how I was thinking, how could you apply this research uh, to a rider just getting into horses? And it would be neat if you could kind of get to know their personality type a little bit and then point them in the direction of a discipline and then see if, number one, they enjoy it. And number two, if they really take to it, not because... Um, you know, their horse is so well-trained or, you know, they have a good trainer, but because you're blending their personality with that discipline. And I think that brings us full circle quite nicely in this research to the point that they found older generations just are better suited to coaching and that they could be instrumental in encouraging younger generations and teaching them, you know, to be more agreeable and try and, instill the qualities that they've learned over time. Yep. Yep. I think I wish I would have known this when I was younger. I'm, you know, I might've kind of maybe picked a different discipline, you know, or maybe you're such a personality, you could do a mix of disciplines, you know, but um, at any rate, and I wonder too, as you age, if your personality kind of changes a little bit from your younger days. So, but anyway, it's, it's interesting. It would be so many studies are within this one research paper. Definitely. I think there's a lot more doors that are going to be opened up from this. Yeah. Well, um, I don't have any more to add to it other than, um, I think there is value and potential in identifying your personality traits across different disciplines and try to um, work with your personality when you choose a discipline. And then you also have to take into consideration the horse and what they tend to want to do as far as their chosen discipline. And some are more talented in, in other disciplines. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. Like it's only 50% of what we can bring to it. You know, we have to try and work with what they bring to the table too. And that's an interesting topic to consider as well. You know, how rider personality matches the horse personality. Yeah, I'm not I, sure how you could really research horse personality. I know there are some um, training programs, call it horsonality, and, and, you know, they have your reactive horses and then your non-reactive and, and all that. But I think each horse does kind of have their preference for what skills they have. 
And I've had many that come to the racetrack that just really don't want to be racehorses. And you recognize that and move them to another discipline where they can be successful. And, you know, you don't um, keep trying and trying and trying. At least I wouldn't. You can tell if they have a, a, a propensity to be a racehorse or not. And so then you move them to a, a discipline and you see they've changed. Their eyes light up, their ears. They either like jumping or they like dressage. And, and then you kind of know, well, that's what this horse wants to do. So, um, and I don't know if they, they make that choice, but within them, within that genetic makeup, there's certain talents that I think come easier to them. Definitely. And it makes me laugh a little bit because I just, when you were saying that, I thought about any of the Shetland ponies I've known and how they just seem to have a predisposition not to want to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> My pony <laughs> likes to eat. <laughs> yeah. so, but, you know, in talking about this Welsh pony I have, she will, she's a, a nice riding horse. However, she likes to drive. And if I would have never went to ground driving to try and retrain some early training that she had had, um, you know, I wouldn't have noticed how much she likes to drive. So uh, I think she's going to be a little bit of both. And some of them, you can mix things up and they don't get so sour on one discipline. Fab. It'd be great. Um, We can keep people updated on Instagram, how she gets on. Yep, that sounds wonderful. And um, what are we going to be doing next week? Well, the research paper that I think we could discuss next week is by DJ Meller. And the article is called Equine Welfare During Exercise. Do we have a bit of a problem? So a little bit of a pun in there, which I love. That sounds good. It sounds like a great paper. I'm looking forward to reading it. Well, this has been great. It was great to hear your ideas on that research. And I hope everyone enjoyed that first episode. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in. And Kate and I will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.